Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Fans, welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on Monday. We're going to mix it up a little bit this week, coming off USC's bye week and heading into Notre Dame week. We're getting some rivalry games in here. We're going to give uh, Harvey Hyde the weekend off for the week off. And we're going to bring in uh, Keely Orr. We usually get her later in the week. You can follow her on Twitter at Keely is my name, or you know, follow all of her stuff at uscfootball.com. She does a great job reporting on the team. And anyway, we got a very special guest, uh, Bruce Feldman from The Athletic and Fox Sports. You can see him on the sidelines there on Fox Sports College Football Broadcast. He's going to come in and talk about the USC coaching search. He actually wrote a book with Ed Orgeron. So LSU job opening up this year. It's another big job where you can win a national championship. Could be some competition for USC. So he wanted to get Bruce on to talk about the coaching search and what he's hearing out there uh, in the college football landscape. But first... We're going to talk with uh, Keely Yor and uh, get some questions out of the way that you guys have sent in. We appreciate all those. But Keely, welcome into the show. How are you doing? Hello, hello, Ryan. Doing well. Excited to have Bruce on the pod today. Should be fun. Yeah, um, yeah we'll get Bruce on a little bit later on and, and chat about some fun things. Yeah. Because Bruce is fun to talk to. And of course. Wealth of knowledge when it comes to all that kind of stuff in the college football world. And USC's coaching search is certainly a big part of that. LSU, Ed Orgeron. Lane Kiffin, there's all kinds of crazy stuff going on. USC ties all over college football. All over. It's crazy. Someone should do like a giant map of just how much USC impacts everything. Yes. Or at least connected to things. USC has not really been nationally relevant, no. but connected to connected. things that are. Yeah. <laughs> They're all tied in. Yes. Um, so, yeah, when we got a bunch of questions to get to. If you have any questions for us, podcast at uscfootball.com is the email address. You could call or text us at 424-254. 9141. We got a couple of voicemails today, a bunch of emails to get to, and we're going to mix it up. So we'll do the questions first, and then we'll bring in Bruce a little bit later on in the show and uh, get his thoughts on everything going on in USC football and the coaching search, as we mentioned. But if you do have the Apple podcasting app on your phone, your iPad, uh, please leave us a five-star rating and uh, any kind of review with comments, feedback, suggestions. All the five stars we will put into a little pool every week, and our favorite one, you will win a $50 gift card to Trader Joe's. So Trader Joe's have been great to us, and we want to give away uh, some Trader Joe's love to the listeners out there. We do appreciate the five-star reviews, and we got a few more uh, coming in this week, and Keely went through. She had a, I think we both had the same favorite, but who was your favorite this we week? We did. It's Colomer, who left us a five-star review, who said, look forward to every podcast. I'm just an old guy that wants to know what happens with the football team throughout the year. This team gives me that, especially during the season. Thank you. I thought it was cute, simple, gets to the point. Thanks, Colomer. Yeah. Um, we love good. our old guy listeners. We do. <laughs> uh, and we want to send you a Trader Joe's gift card. So yeah. just send us an email. You can send it right to me, Ryan, at uscfootball.com or podcast. At uscfootball.com, and I will send you a $50 Trader Joe's gift card. So, again, if you want to leave a five-star review, even if you've done it a couple months ago, you can still leave another one, I believe. So go in there and leave one, and uh, every week we'll pick our favorite and send you a Trader Joe's gift card. Thanks again to 
Trader Joe's went uh, camping over the weekend. Keely, nice. Brought a lot of Trader Joe's stuff. You nice. know, little snacks and uh, you know, anything just... in particular really hit the spot camping wise. So I got to keep them in the cooler. The uh, little um, the peanut butter cups, the dark oh, chocolate. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So got to yes. keep them in the cooler because we don't want them to melt. Of you course. Know? Also, uh, it's just nice, a little refrigerated too. And we also had a ton of Trader Joe's stuff at the tailgate. Yeah. Uh, which was great. Um, I don't know that, you know, I'm not going to make any jokes, but yeah, we had a great tailgate, even though the game wasn't good for Utah and uh, Trader Joe's provided tons of snacks for that one and drinks, you know, my favorite white claw pack you can get at Trader Joe's. Look at that. So yes, you got, we, we provided some of those. So that was fun. We had a good time at the tailgate. So thanks to everyone that came out for that. And thanks for Trader Joe's for the sponsorship over the many years that you guys worked with the Peristyle podcast. Okay, so looking forward to talking to Bruce, but you know we want to get to some questions and stuff because we didn't get to do a show last week. We are going this weekend, yeah, to Notre Dame, South Bend, Indiana. Uh, I just put up so USC is a six and a half point underdog. Have you know this, Keely? I know you've been really good at picking the Trojans. You're five and one. Thank you, thank um, you. Or picking against them, actually. Yeah. You should have picked against them this last week. Only I shotgun. No, I know. I'm still bitter about that. My undefeated streak came to an end. I know. But this is the first time USC is an underdog. Yeah. They've been a favorite in every game. And it's been very easy to say they're probably not a favorite. Yeah, six and a half point underdog in this one. Um, but it's funny. You think like people are looking like, oh, it should be 65, not six and a half, and you should move the decimal point. Notre Dame's was a favorite the first three games. They were an underdog their last three games. Now they won two of those three. They lost to Cincinnati at home. Yeah. But and you know, they've won three games by three points. Like they could easily not be a five one team. They are not a world beating kind of team. Yeah. yeah. Um so people are just like doom and gloom USC all the time. It's like Notre Dame's not look that good. They were in the fourth quarter of every single game because they they beat Purdue by I think like thirteen or something. They blew out Wisconsin, but they were losing to Wisconsin in the fourth quarter. They just blitzkrieged them in, uh, later in the fourth. So, you know, and Cincinnati handled their business there. So yeah. this is not like – I don't want USC fans to go in there like, it's impossible. It's Notre Dame. They were in the playoffs last year. Like, they're really not that good this year. They're okay. I mean, they're fine. They're, they're like a Pac-12 team. They're like, okay, they're pretty good. But then they look like crap one week and play good the next. Can't you see the most USC thing happening where you lose to Oregon State, Stanford, and Utah at home? But you keep the undefeated away streak alive and beat Notre Dame at Notre Dame for the first time since 2011. It seems mean, very USC to me. I wouldn't be shocked. I wouldn't be shocked either. No. But it's a tough place for USC to play. Yeah. Especially with the interim. First. Oh, yeah. And that's that's the other point that I like. I don't know. Like, I guess someone had a on a Reddit message board. Someone put on our board posted it. Um, I didn't realize that, but I had just kind of gone through the numbers. I'm like. This is another interim coach. I'm like, wait, I think they've all been at Notre Dame. It was like 2013. Yep. Interim coach uh, Ed Orgeron at yep. Notre Dame. 2015, interim head coach Clay, Clay Helton. <laughs> and some people argue 2017 and 19 was also interim head coach Clay Helton, but he was not the interim head coach. He no, was a permanent he head was coach. not. And then this year will be Dante Williams. So last five trips to South Bend, USC is shipping out an interim head coach. Like, that's pretty horrible. Yeah, not great. I will say, though, they had a bye week to recuperate a developmental scrimmage on Thursday. So we'll see what comes of that. Yeah. I'm curious. I've heard some rumblings of changes. So we'll see. But, I mean, can Dante regroup this team? And does this team want to be regrouped in that sense? That's a very good point. Like, 
is it going to give up? Is the team going to give up? And uh, we didn't see them give up under Orgeron. They had a couple clunkers, you know, against the rivals, but you know, they they fought hard against Stanford. Um, I, yeah, this th- there's definitely been elements though. You feel like I don't know if everyone's on the everyone's all in, you know, like. And the problem is, even before Helton was fired, this team had a problem with getting smacked in the mouth and then kind of being like, okay, roll over. You know, there I didn't see much fight in this team prior to the firing, let alone you're now uh, kind of just playing to play at this point. You're playing to hopefully beat your rivals. But I mean, what else is there really f- looking forward to for the rest of the season? You know? Yeah. Is it a team that can take a punch? You know, like, and, and so far we haven't seen that. I mean, yeah. the one time we saw that was against Washington State, but Washington State. You know? Yeah, it was and Washington State. You yeah. have like the spark of Jackson Dart behind you and like the first week with Dante as interim head coach. Like there's a lot of emotion there. Whereas like, can you sustain that? Um, and I don't, I so far we haven't really seen it. No, but I think the good thing for USC is Notre Dame's looked beatable. Uh, you know, they've been in a bunch of close games this year. They've looked bad and were able to, you know, squeak out some wins. So we'll see if USC is able to kind of get things right. And uh, start playing better, but there's an opportunity to to beat a you know a pretty good Notre Dame team on the road. It's because they maybe maybe pretty good is the right word. They haven't been that good, but they it's a team that USC I think can beat. But we'll have a bunch of previews on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish this week, and uh, we're talking about it on this podcast and television on Thursday night. So stay tuned for that. And uh, you know we got obviously got to talk about the coaching search and stuff this week, which we'll do with Bruce. But why don't we get into sure. Some questions. I'll start off with a voicemail. Okay. Here we go. Hey, guys. This question's for Ryan and Keeley. And I was just calling to say that, you know, I always just have this theory back in the day that it takes about half the amount of time to truly get over it access to dating. And, uh, you know, with dating Clay Helton about six years in this program, uh, it, it I think it's going to take at least three years to get over uh, the culture and what he created. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously, you know, maybe next year we can go 8-4, 10-2 in the Pac-12. But, I mean, to truly be able to compete with teams like, you know, what we saw with the Oklahoma-Texas game, Alabama, you know, Georgia, like teams like that, it's going to take at least three years. And the main thing is we just do not have the trench play. And, you know, we don't have the bodies that are going to be able to handle the opposing team's bodies in the trenches. And, uh, you know, honestly, it's 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 going to take a while, no matter how good the coach is, and, um, because trench play is everything. I mean, yeah, we'll get skilled players. Yeah, we'll get a decent quarterback. But ultimately, to beat the elite teams, trench play is what matters. And I just don't think we're there yet right now. Fight on, Jason Longway Country. Jason sounds so exasperated. He, he is. Just, you can hear it in his voice. When you're comparing it to like the relationship, like how you get over a relationship, like if you're in a six year relationship, it takes you three years to get over, which I don't buy. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time to get over somebody. Like, you know, you're wasting half your life if you're doing that every time you get a relationship. I don't think there's a formula. No. Uh, and I don't think a formula for this. So I would say, I mean, certainly trench play is an issue. I think, do you want to be. As good as Georgia, maybe it's like a three-year thing. But you don't have to be as good as Georgia. Like, I think one thing we're learning is college football, especially this year with all the super seniors and stuff, it's not just Pac-12 parity. There's a lot of parity throughout college football. And 
Georgia looks awesome. You know, Alabama looked awesome. And even they lost to a team that's, you know, Texas A&M is not that great. Yeah. Um, you know, Colorado almost beat them and Colorado is awful, but although they did get a win against just Arizona so bad, 18 game losing streak. Holy crap. It's crazy. They are so, so bad. But anyway, I'll get back to it. Yes. I feel like a gr- if you get a great head coach, you can reverse the culture stuff fairly quickly. Now it's going to take, you know, you might take a year to weed out some of the players you don't want. Um, get, you know, kind of get some of the guys you want in to build like a championship championship roster. If you're on that path, it might take three years, but I think you can win the PAC 12 in year one or two. Like literally there can be that quick of a turnaround because there's, there's no one in the PAC 12. Like three weeks ago, I think we had Oregon as our number one team in the power conference. Power. Yeah. They lost. Yeah. Last week we had Oregon state. It was like, I don't know. They looked the best. They lost this week. We had Arizona state. They lost, you yep. know, yeah, 28 points to uh, Utah. Um, you could win the Pac-12, like, with a good coach today. You know, like, that's, I don't think that's a question because the Pac-12 is just not that good. And if you're winning the Pac-12 and, be, you know, this year you could beat Notre Dame because they're not that good, you know, and you would get a pretty decent bump. So I think, Jason, like, maybe if you want to beat, beat, like, what Georgia looks like this year, that could be three years. But you can go 10-2, 11-1 in a year or two, I think, easy. I think you can answer this in two ways. And it's like, I think you just answered it one way, which is how can you use the weak conference that is the Pac-12 to your advantage and get to a higher bowl or higher ranking, et cetera. And I think that's very easy with the Pac-12 just because it's not a good conference. But I think what Jason and Longhorn Country is talking about is like, how do you rebuild a strong foundation where when you do get to the CFP, when you do play formidable opponents, you're not just getting blasted off the field, yeah. you know, like you're actually putting together a good performance. And I think those are different answers. I think with the Pac-12, it's with the talent USC still has and can have with a good head coach that will bring in good recruits. I think it's a really easy. I think it's a, a simple path, but I still think it's going to be like a cotton bowl situation where you look at USC's linemen compared to Ohio State's linemen and you're like, okay, you kind of yeah, know the bad. outcome of, the, of this game. And I think that will take a bit. I think that will take like several recruiting classes and like momentum of winning. So I think, I think one is easier. One is going to take longer. Yeah. And I, I mean, I don't think you can expect to be like, okay, year two, we're going to be like Georgia or Alabama or yeah. Ohio State. But there's such, I mean, you can get such a springboard. It's not like if you're trying to rebuild somewhere else, you're like, okay, let's, when Sark was, you know, taken over at Washington and they were 0 and 12, you know, like you were like crawling out of the basement and just trying to get respectability, you know, get bull eligible and all that kind of stuff. You're already, the the, the USC floor is still freaking high. That's the thing, you know, like yeah. you can get a great coach and get off the floor and you're already pretty high, you know, that's yes. You're not going to be at that elite national level, but you're going to be, if you win the PAC 12, you're going to be, and you're like 11 and one or something, you'll be talked about like you are now you might get exposed when you play one of those teams. But I think Um, that's what fans don't want. That's what they saw under Helton, you know, like, yeah, they look good in the PAC 12, but when you get to like a quote unquote real opponent, well, they only won the Pac-12 once in 12 years. Sure, sure. So, I, like, it's not like that's happening every year. Okay. Like, the sure. one year they did win, they got exposed by Ohio State. Yeah, right? yeah. But they weren't – if you're, like, 
sniffing the playoffs and you like make the playoff like Michigan State made it one year and just gets boat raced or when Washington made it and just gets pounded, I think shut out by Alabama. Like, all right. But I feel like when that happened to Washington, you were peaking, you know, like Michigan State wasn't going to get back to the playoff every year. If USC in year two of whoever the new head coach is, goes 11 and one and wins the Pac-12, 12 and one, makes the playoff and like gets crushed by Georgia in the first round, say. Um, That's okay because USC wasn't peaking. They were building towards that. And they just took advantage of the situation. Okay. And the next year you could like, you made the playoff. Like that's what you should do. Like, don't worry about getting blown out of the playoffs. Like USC's never made the playoff once. Yeah. Make the playoff once. Yeah. Win the Pac-12. Then if you win and you're like, oh, our, our linemen aren't as big or whatever. And it's just, we're not going to be, we're going to get pushed around by Georgia say. That's okay. But the next year you're in the playoffs, you get more linemen. Once you get to the top of the Pac-12, it's not like Oregon's going to be like, Oh, Oregon's going to overtake you. No, like once you roll like that, you keep getting those five stars. Yeah, it's a snowball effect. Yeah, so I would say even if you get to the playoff in year two, well, you can, you're not going to win the championship, but by year three or four, you certainly could. I feel like it'd be building upon that, but yeah, just my thoughts. Yeah, I think the only thing is that this season has kind of opened my eyes a little bit to maybe how much you have to kind of rebuild the roster a little bit more than I thought. True. Yeah. Just because I think with, you know, the Sark to Helton transition, there was a lot of good talent there. So there wasn't too much of a drop off. Whereas now I think you, there definitely is. And we've talked, we've talked about this for years. I mean, saying how, Hey, the recruiting classes are suffering. This is going to happen. There's going to be a consequence for this at one point. And I think we're now seeing that, you know? Yeah. That 2020 class. I mean, there's, it's it's funny. It's better than we thought. Probably there's some contributors and stuff, but just a lot of you know, there's not much there. You know, with you know only 13 guys or whatever. Um, but there's some dudes that can play. Yeah. Which no. Is and, fun. and this is not a knock on maybe the talent. It's just the fact that USC had much had a much easier time bringing in top talent later, like earlier in my right. tenure. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, uh, that was a little tangent. Sorry about that. No, this is what we're here. It's a tangent podcast. Tangent pod. We got an email from Stephen Poway who said, Dear Ryan and Keeley, given the focus on the defensive line this year, particularly with the absence of Brandon Peely due to injury, there's a national tendency to want to will Ishmael Softer to full health. But is it time to stop mentioning his name as you did with Solomon Tuliala Pupu until he actually plays it down in a real game? I think it is. Thanks for all you do and fight on Stephen Poway. See, what's interesting is I was on this train. For a good bit. I think Chris Trevino was on, still on Ishmael Sopcher watch. And I was like, you know, it's just not happening. Let's put it on the Solomon rule. Like, let's wait. But then I talked to defensive coordinator Todd Orlando last week. And he said he's progressing. Ishmael is. And the developmental scrimmage on Thursday was going to be a big test for, for Sopcher. Like, they want to see how much he can do. And he said it's a real possibility that he could see some playing time against Notre Dame. And I did not expect that. I think if you listen oh. to the Family Feud, I was very much like, nah, we'll see. Um, right now, it sounds like it's a conditioning issue. So we'll see. I think now it's at the point where we kind of had to talk about, about it, given the fact that Orlando is now sounding positive about it. Beforehand, yeah. I don't think so. But It's definitely a weird one, and it certainly would help USC. Um, Notre Dame's offensive line is uh, 
not been good. Now they played a little bit better uh, last week against Virginia Tech or two weeks ago, whatever it was. Um, they've had like four different left tackles start and like two of them are freshmen. Like that's never even happened. Like Notre Dame's never had a freshman left tackle start. They had two in the last like few weeks or something. So if you can have a, you know, a more athletic offensive line, a bigger guy in the middle to help stuff things up, um, you can, you know, you can push, you can do some, some damage to Notre Dame's offensive line. So. Yeah. Yeah, I so mean, getting him back would be big. I think that's basically what Orlando said. He was like, he provides. We can definitely do more with him just there, <laughs> like his, yeah. his frame just there. So I think we'll definitely be watching for that this week in practice. Cool. We got an email from Mike who said, "What happened to Kyle Ford? Did I miss an injury report? He has hardly played, and I'm not sure why. Harold has placed all of his air raid eggs in the Drake London basket. It might have worked this far, but ASU's DBs are a little better than what you'll find at Colorado and Washington State. If the defense is allowed to zero in on one." player like London the next best receiver is a very distant distant second in terms of stats I like to see a little bit more balance in ball distribution here and there and that's where Ford is supposed to come in what's what good is a big body five-star recruit if he can't even get off the bench or the training table fight on Mike that's tough because he's my boy I like to see Kyle Ford um the one the one game I forget which it was he had two snaps and was it uh Colorado maybe two snaps and a touchdown he had so um no that was at home i remember oh is it a loss he caught it yeah i got that late touchdown or something yeah uh maybe it was oregon state or something or i can't remember what's on my head sorry that's okay yeah he had two two snaps and one of them was a touchdown i think one was a kneel down or something (laughs) so uh yeah i mean he had said you know he was okay um there's some weird stuff going on, you know, with this, but I don't know what any thoughts. So he there was one game where um oh okay, you're right. It was Utah. Utah he did have a Oh, no, I'm looking the wrong sorry, I'm looking at the game logs. <laughs> um okay. he did say that there was one game where he dressed out and then didn't feel good to go and then uh, didn't play. But for the most part, I asked him, I was like, health wise, how are you doing? Is that limiting you and he was like no i thought i would get more playing time so it's kind of a i think it's up to harold's uh choice about who he plays and whatnot but i think right now currently it is a little bit of a issue with his knee okay i think it's a a little bit of both and i think um i was i forget what it was it was oregon state or utah where he just he came out and he wasn't dressed. I think it might have been Oregon State. That, that's the game where he told the coaches, like, I don't trust my knee necessarily. And I yeah. think when you have a guy who's had two ACL tears, you're going to trust him in what he says. Hey, I'm not feeling exactly 100%. He'll be a little more cautious and stuff. Like yeah, that. of course. So, But there was also times when it felt like he felt ready and they they weren't using him. And maybe they're being a little cautious too. But, yeah, that's a, that's a weird one. I'm sorry. Just, um, yeah, don't know about that one. Yeah, so Washington State, he had one reception and one touchdown. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And then he's only played, he played Stanford, Washington State, and then hasn't played since then. Yeah. So that's the latest update there. Uh, we got a question from Frank in Sacramento, which is kind of more of a statement. He says, look, Fickle is not coming to USC. He has Cincinnati rolling and they're moving to the Big 12. Why take over a struggling Power 5 program on the West Coast when you can stay home in Ohio and ride the wave to the Power 5 without the extra stress? Hey, Frank. Um, so, right. Here's the thing. Your first statement could be true. I don't think you know that to be true. So I would say he might not come to USC. He's got six kids. 
Uh, grew up Ohio, always recruited Ohio, lived in Ohio, not a big recruiter of California and all that stuff. Your reasoning, though, is way off. So, yes, he has Cincinnati rolling. Perfect. Like, they, they look great. Um, the Big 12, you're acting like they're a Power 5 conference. They will not be once Texas and Oklahoma leaves. It's nice that you're adding, like, BYU and Cincinnati and stuff, but it's not going to be on the same level. They No one's going to move the needle like an Oklahoma or a Texas would. So... Sorry, that's just not going to be the same. The reason you would want to go to the West Coast is because you would be the best football program, the most, the football program with the most tradition in two time zones. And you have a path to the playoff and you can win a national championship. Cincinnati in the Big 12 is no closer to winning a national championship with the Big 12 without Texas and Oklahoma than Cincinnati would be in the AAC. So would Luke Fickle want to stay for, you know, the cost of living's better, family life, all that. There's, there's a bunch of reasons why you would just want to stay. But if you want to win, you want to be an alpha head coach in college football and compete with Dabo Sweeney and Nick Saban for national championships, then you'd want to be at USC over Cincinnati. That's just the way it is. There's a hierarchy in college football, and Cincinnati is nowhere near where USC is. So, Frank, that's why he would leave if he wanted to leave. Nice. Yeah. So, I kind of know when you're about to ramp up for a Ryan. You go take a little nap? No. <laughs> Prepping other stuff. <laughs> <Nice>. Yes. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, we got a question from Ray from Florida who said, To all the Parasol gang, I really wanted to like Dante Williams. He's in a tough spot. However, listening to his pressers are laborious. The can't answered. Answers and stating the obvious makes me not listen to them anymore. Say it like it is. The two lines are weak, the secondary is inept, and the quarterback is average. Really just forget the stats. He can't complete a pass in the end zones. They still can't tackle. The running game is a coin flip because the O-line can't run block. They played like a Clay Helton team. Oh, they are. Lord help us for the rest of the season. A fan since 74 and a father of a SC PhD. This is 1999 all over again. Sorry for the negative take. Fight on. Ray from Florida. At least he apologized. <laughs> you don't have to apologize, Ray. We no. want your takes. What's yeah. your opinions? Um, you can still like Dante Williams. He is in a tough spot. And this is his first time addressing the media as much as he has. This is the first time, yeah. you know, he's got his own sort of philosophies. I feel like he's going to come out of this 10-game run with USC, potentially 11 if they get a bowl game, and look back and go, okay, if I get another head coaching opportunity Here's how I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do that differently. I don't like the way I handled this. If I realize this, but yeah, he's in a tough spot. He's learning on the job, which unfortunately for USC football head coaches, that's been the norm learning on the job. Yeah. Um, that's why when you hire someone, you get someone that's done this before because they're not learning on the job. Now we're all learning every day in our jobs, but not like learning the basics, like literally the basics of being head coach. Clay Helton learned them at USC. You know, Dante Williams learned them. He's learning them at USC. Um, you know, Lane Kiffin, Steve Sarkeesian, we're learning a lot about that stuff too. There's just, you you don't want this to be a, a job that you're like reaching so much for that you ha really have to kind of figure out what's going on. You want to get somebody who's like, okay, so Luke Fickle, does he have to learn about power five versus group of five stuff? Sure, but he's, coached at an elite level, had elite success, 
and you understand what's going on. Like a James Franklin knows what it's like. He's been in the big games. He's coached against Ohio State and Michigan and USC. He's done all that stuff. Um, he's been in the SEC. These people, everyone's going to learn a little bit on the job, but not like what Dante Williams is learning right now. So, yeah, you could still like him, but he's in a tough spot for sure. It's a very difficult spot to be in, especially when the assistants know that they will essentially, their job status is basically, you know, not going well. You know, yeah. like they basically know that they will be fired coming in. So, like, how do you keep that together? And And to be fair, you know, as far as he had an issue with, like, he's not calling out the team enough. One, I think he is as much as the interim head coach can. And compared to Clay Helton, you know, he's definitely saying this is not the standard. This is bad. He's very frank about it, but there's a point where, especially as an interim, you can't just like publicly beat up your team, especially when you're trying to keep them like engaged in the season. Right. You know, that you buy yourself no favors by doing that because one, everyone who's watching already knows the statements you're going to make Two, you're just going to, piss off your team when you need them to to fight for you yes and you don't have the authority of a head coach who knows you're going to be here next season the season after that like you can't be like hey if you don't like me suck it up you're on the roster and i'm the head coach you know he's the interim you can't you don't have as much yes. leverage you know so he, i think he's trying to hit the spots as well as he can and you know make the the easy wins as much as he can and i think he has i think the yeah. pressers sound different there's more and everyone's heard this word a million times but there's more accountability etc cetera, etc cetera. so i think he's doing the best he can there's more i mean the the problem is you have a lot of people that want to do their jobs well. They want to look good. Like if you're a player, you want to perform well for your own benefit at this point because the team stuff sort of is not the way. If you're, you know, a, a assistant coach, you want your group to do well because you're probably not going to be here next year. So then you got to, you know, build your resume somewhere else. Yeah. So there's reasons why everyone would want to succeed, but you have to work together. And when people aren't really interested in like, well, I would sacrifice – something for mine to help you and then help the team, you're probably not getting a lot of that because it's, you know, but now then it's a mess. And, um, but it, you know, it would behoove like everyone to work together and try to have success because that's going to help all of you. But at this point when it's, you know, you cut the, you know, you cut everything off two games in the season. And now it's like, everyone's like scrambling. It's like a mad dash. It's like the, you know, the, the ship's going down and you're all go everyone's going for their lifeboats, you know, and, uh, there's no women and children first. It's just like, I got to save myself, you know? And yeah. Understandable, like human reaction, because this is a mess, you know? And, yeah. Um, but, you know, it's it's a good spot to be in if you're Dante Williams, just because you're like, hey, I get to be the head coach at USC. Resume building. Make the, make the best of it. Yeah. But it's not an easy job. Not at all. No. Not at all. We got another question from Stephen Poway, who said, at the risk of really angering the Clay Helton haters, does it seem like the USC football team has actually regressed a bit, considering all aspects, including in-game calls, since Clay was fired? P.S. What was up with Dante Williams calling a timeout at the very end of the game? I see Whittingham reacted by going out of the victory formation and throwing a long pass attempt to show USC that if they wanted to play it that way, the Utes could run up the score on them. Come on, Dante. Steve in Poway. Hey, Steve. Um, it is funny. I mean, Clay Helton built this, so you can't like, well, if, if Clay Helton was still the head coach, it might be a little better just because you're going to keep the same voice and, and do the same things. And maybe, you know, Dante Williams trying to upset the apple cart to make things better doesn't, you know, there's a little pain before the gain. Um, but I kind of feel like the record would be the same, you know? Yeah. If anything, I mean, USC might not have won the Washington State game. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You and I talked about this on Tunnel Vision. It could have been worse. Um 
could have been. Could, is there a game USC? I mean, they got blown out in four than those three. Like, I don't think. I think you still have the coordinators who are having the issues. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not like. I mean, Harold is still Harold. Orlando is still Orlando. You yeah. know? Like, I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's going to be much different. But we've said before, like the the players enjoyed Helton as a father figure and fought for him, kind of in ways like that. But did would that magic run out? I don't know. You know, it's shoulda coulda woulda. I don't think we can really predict. But yeah, I I get it. Um, but it's pretty much looks like the same team. Like I feel like it wouldn't be that much different. You know, the fundamental errors are still back to Helton. Yes. Like there are some errors that are just like you're having an interim head coach be the head coach for the first time, as we just mentioned. But I, I just think the the foundation is still Helton. Yeah. There still feels like I mean, there were some of the mistakes that felt like it was an interim head coach when it wasn't the interim head coach, you know, like when Clay Helton was the oh, permanent coach. Yeah. It still felt like there was some interim crap going on, you know. Sure. Do you want to get to a voicemail? Yeah, let's do the last voicemail. Here we go. Hey, Curtis from Moreno Valley. This is for everybody on the podcast. Ed Ogeron just made a separation agreement with LSU. We ought to announce him as head coach because of the recruiting right now and let him put together his staff. He His credentials, the undefeated national championship recently name somebody else that is on the agenda or the list for coaches on USC this year that have won a national championship. We should have hired him the first time. Curtis from Moreno Valley. Oh boy, Curtis. <laughs> I'm going to try to be nice. Be nice. Okay. I will agree with you. Should have hired him the first time. All right. I, I always agree with that. I completely disagree with you hiring him now. Like that's the, one of the worst ideas I've heard. Um, you talk about, let him build his staff. He pretty much built a new staff at LSU. Like every year, like he hired Bo Pelini as a defensive coordinator, yeah. paid yeah. him like two and a half million dollars and had to fire him after a year. He was really bad at building staffs, except for the one year they won the championship. I'm not going to take anything away. I'm still an Ed Orgeron fan. Um, you know, I give him credit. And there was a great article in the athletic that Curtis, you should definitely read because Edo has some serious problems going on in that program since winning that championship. There were personal issues. Um, I mean, there was a lot of stuff going on. So I don't think he would even be touchable from that standpoint. Yeah. Um, but he built something amazing there and it, it came together and worked and it was one of the greatest college football teams of all time. And LSU's won four national championships. He, you know, he's got 25% of them. He won one of them. Um, it's great what he did. But you saw it's, you know, you can build, and then there's, you know, sometimes it's hard to build. Sometimes it's hard to maintain. And sometimes it's hard to, you know, keep that going if you have a championship culture and they've completely fallen off a cliff. They're still really talented. They beat Florida last week, you know. They beat Florida last week, and they're already announcing a change. And we'll get to talk to Bruce Feldman about this a lot. He knows a yeah, lot what's going on. It'll be good. But, Curtis, this is a horrible, horrible idea, and you're going back to the well again and again and again. Like You, you have to get away from that. USC would never do this. This is not even close to something anyone would consider happening. Um, so, no. Uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say. Yeah. I mean, 
He did win a national championship. He did. It's awesome. Yeah. Look at the other years too. Um, the staff building, the the infighting, the issues that they've had. There's yeah. read the athletic article. I will if you you know it's worth a subscription. Go get it. We'll 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 try to sell subscriptions for Bruce. <laughs> Bruce didn't write that one, but he wrote another one on on the coaching search. But there is a lot of issues uh, with Ed Orgeron. A lot of issues. So untouchable. Um, yeah, and we hope that he gets that back. He, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on there with Ed Orgeron. Yeah, which I like a lot. I would you know give him a big hug if I saw him today. But he's he's not in running. Should should be in the running to be USC's head coach right now. Is it? Even if he just walked away, you know, like retired from LSU just because he was done and then won like a second national championship, like that ship has sailed. Like USC did him dirty um, the first time. Like, I don't think he would want to come back. You don't want to, you don't want to go back and don't date your ex. Yeah. This is like, (laughs) this is like dating your ex that like you got back together four times and like they screwed you over each and every time and there was like lawsuits and, and you're still going back there, like no, like dude, yeah, don't date your ex. Yeah, yeah, simple as that. Yeah, you know how you mentioned Arizona and just the the dumpster fire that yes. is. Uh, breaking news. Oh crap! Apparently, uh, Gunnar Cruz is out for the season. So if there was any chance for Arizona, this it's uh, is gone. You feel bad. Um, yeah. yeah, they lost. So will they're gonna have, they have to go back to Will Plummer? Yeah. Um, Who'd been terrible? Gutter Cruz was terrible, and he's out for the season. Yeah, but uh, who's the other guy? Who I forget the. Well, uh, they have a walk on, Luke Ashworth or Braden Zermino. Yeah, there's those are there, what's left on the depth chart. There's yeah, there's not a lot there, but they um, McLeod Jordan McLeod actually looked pretty good when he was in there, but then he got injured and is out for the season, so they had to go back to Gunnar Cruz, who just looked god awful. And then he's out for the season. Yeah. He 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 hurt his hand on a pick six, you know, like thumb injury. Yeah. So So we feel bad. Um, but yeah, they are the a, hits keep on coming for Arizona. I mean, eighteen game losing streak. It's rough. It's been over two calendar years since they won a game. I know. It's it's crazy. Crazy <laughs> yeah. madness. Speaking of the athletic, we have one more question. It's from Alex in LA. Um, and I think he's actually referencing the article by Bruce Feldman and Antonio Morales. Who, and he said, uh, Hi, Ryan and team. I don't know if you read the article in The Athletic about the way USC has mismanaged the football team to the point of re- irrelevancy. Most of what they say is nothing new. Unqualified athletic directors, a level of arrogance that doesn't mean the quality of product, etc. The one thing that stood out was previous SC assistants saying that the schools aren't, are influencing the people giving star rankings to kids so that they get more stars than they deserve to make their classes look better than they are. Maybe I didn't want to believe it at first, but now I'm seeing how this is likely... Uh, this. This is likely given how bad our team looks. Any thoughts? Thanks, Alex in L.A. Thanks, Alex. Yeah, that was a great uh, article. I mean, a lot of the stuff we've gone over. Yes. I mean, when you have incompetent leadership at the very top, they make poor decisions. They make poor hires. They do things for the wrong reasons. And it doesn't always like, oh, there's a press conference. Like, okay, here, we, we hired this guy. Well, you know, it takes a while for that person to go out and do their job. And you realize, well, they're bad at their job. Why did you hire them to begin with? Sometimes we pointed out like right away, you're like, why is Tim Drevno the running backs coach? Yeah. Well, there was pressure on Clay Helton to fire Neil Calloway, who was a bad offensive line coach. And instead of, you know, you can't be partially pregnant. Like you got to do it. They, they did it halfway, right? Like, well, we'll bring in Tim Drevno now, but he'll coach running backs. And then he'll eventually take over for Neil Calloway. Like, no, just fire Neil Calloway. If you want Drevno, bring him in. Then Graham Harrell comes in. Like Tim Drevno can't do the offensive line because he's never done a spread. Well, 
No, we're going to make him the offensive line coach. Okay, so how long does that take to fix? And that takes a couple of years, and you can bring in a new one. Um, all the while, you're you know hurting recruiting, you're hurting things. It just kind of builds and builds and builds. Yeah. I would say the only part I disagreed with the article, and it'd be great to talk to some of the people. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of assistant coaches you could talk to that would say, no, that's not the case as far as like, we're lobbying to get more stars. Now, if Alabama offers a three-star kid, there's going to be a natural bump because, well, why is Nick Saban want this yeah, guy? What are they seeing? And it was happening with USC and stuff as well. I think you get some artificial bumps there. I don't think it's a, a some widespread thing where coaches are lobbying to get more stars from guys. Just by USC getting involved on a player, there's a chance that they get bumped up. And we saw Jackson Dart. Now, he was killing it. He was a three-star guy or a lower. I mean, he just no one knew who he was. Didn't have a lot of offers. Then a lot of people get involved late. He gets bumped up to a four-star. No, I think that's a legit bump, you know, because he was like killing it on the seven-on-seven circuit and stuff. Sometimes there's guys like that too that might be a three-star. They get big, like Oregon, USC, like Texas offers them. He looks awesome at these camps and shorts and T-shirts and gets a four-star. But maybe he didn't have the kind of resume when the pads are on. He didn't play like that on Friday nights, but all these big programs offered him and he was great in the, you know, these camp circuit things. I think stuff like that happens, but Alex, I would say that's not like all of USC's recruits are bumped up because I just don't think that's true at all. Yeah. And I think that line kind of ruffled some feathers in the recruiting world just because, I mean, they put so much work and effort into how they rank guys, how they evaluate guys. Like I know like Blair and Gulo and, and, and Biggins and, and Huffman, like, it's a serious, serious thing. And so it's not just like, hey, let's move these rankings around to help you and help me. It's not like that. Because then the whole thing is just, what are we doing here? You know? Right. And I I mean, I talked to all those guys. I can't tell you the number of stories you get from parents, coaches, people calling them saying, why isn't this kid ranked higher? And they get that all the oh, time. Oh, they get harassed at camps. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, I've seen it. Like, I've stayed next to Vigans when someone comes up and it's like, hey, do you work for 247? Why is my kid X, Y, and Z? And they're like, <laughs> they're like, okay, now i got to tell this feel of like why I ranked yeah. your kid a certain way. It's rough. I feel bad for them. <laughs> yeah, it's like literally people will come up and be like, and okay, this is extreme. This isn't like turning a three-star into a four-star, but they'll be like, hey, man, my kid, uh, you know, he deserve- he's a three-star guy. Like, they're- he's talked to USC and Alabama and stuff. And then you look, it's like, well, where's the other scholarship offer? Well, nowhere. It's like, so he's like a five-eight cornerback who doesn't start and runs a four-nine forty. It's like, yeah, no, he doesn't deserve a ranking. But parents are like, no, he should be and very they, adamant about it. Yeah. yeah, and they feel like if we get if we can convince these guys to rank them, then the coaches will recruit them. Yeah, like, there's a yeah. lot of that kind of crap going on. Yeah, but these are the people's jobs, you know. Like they yeah. take it seriously on the recruiting side, the coaching side. You know, if a if you're a, a recruit or a coach, yeah, would you like the the guy that you recruit to be a five star dude? But people are gonna know if it's you know you recruit a five star and he's not ends up being something like that. There's weird ones like Olawale Patiku was like you looked at the guy, and you would want him to be the first dude off the bus. You know, yeah. there's athleticism out the butt and just like crazy how good he was, like just the potential there, and it just never really yeah materialized. You know, but you could see why like jump 40 you know, all the stuff that you're like okay yeah. he's a crazy athlete yeah. do all these things i mean look at the whole devin brown saga you know he was just super underrated um i know they're very thankful that like graham harrell and seth daigie identified him because he was just a nobody 
you know, and then he comes out to Elite 11 finals and, and lights it up. And now he's a four star. He's getting offers from a lot of places. Like it's just kind of how recruiting goes sometimes where you can kind of get lost in the shuffle and then things change when you have like really standout performances, you know, it just things change. It's, it's a weird dynamic. It is, but I would say, yeah, I, that would be the one part, Alex, that I disagreed with the yeah. the story. Yeah. Um, I'm sure there's some people that said some things and sometimes it's like, everyone's going to have their own agenda too. So if they, you know, but the problem is the coaches get involved in this stuff. Like, We've got calls from coaches, assistant coaches, Gerard will tell you, I mean, we can't tell you who, but stories where we put in there who's recruiting who, you know, there are coaches that want their name by a recruit. They're like, Hey, you have this coach. Yeah. I know he's a position coach, but I'm the one that's the main contact, you know, cause they want to get credit for it. So anyone that you talk to as a former coach, there's going to be take out some of that with a grain of salt too, because there's certain things like they might've got screwed over by, you know, that guy, a Dory was really mine. I'm the one that called them, but this guy got credit for yeah. it. Like that's the, that's a thing too. Yeah. Yeah. There's Crazy. a lot of politics in all of this. <laughs> yeah. But I would say I trust the people that are doing the rankings. No one's right all the time. And I think it's a lot, I mean, the NFL gets it wrong and those are, then you get like fully developed, like men. You're trying to like talk to a 16 year old, like offensive lineman. That's going to probably put, 60 pounds on and, and yeah. grow four inches in the next year. Maybe he does. Maybe he doesn't like you're trying to project that. Yeah. Know? Projecting that is crazy. And going back to Devin Brown, like he looked like a, a 11 year old, his freshman year in high school. <laughs> and then he grew like seven inches to his junior year. And so like, I mean, it's a hard thing to try and project and, and scout these people. So it's, it's rough. I have all the respect in the world for the Huffman's and the biggins of the world. Yeah. They do a great job, so, you know, and stars matter. Okay. They freaking matter. Like if you say they don't matter, this guy was a two star and hey, now he's an NFL. Yes, there, there's those are called exceptions. We've done many stories on all these things. If you're a five star, you're like five times more likely to get drafted than if you were a two star. Like it's just that's those are numbers. Like it just it doesn't mean every five star gets drafted. It doesn't mean every two star doesn't go to the NFL. But it means take the average two star, like pick a random two star. Yeah, I'll give you a random two star. I'll give you five random two stars, and I'll take one random five star and I get you, my guy goes higher than your guy. Like, you know, any of your guys, like that's just, you know, you know just the odds. If we ever have pair style merch, I want one of them to be stars matter. Oh yeah. hundred percent. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Why don't we take a quick break and we'll come back. Uh, we'll, get, we'll get Bruce Feldman on the line and come back and talk to him. So back in a minute. Introducing the Two-Way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the Two-Way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the Two-Way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. 
All right, we're back here on the Peristyle Podcast, and we have Bruce Feldman. He's a reporter for Fox Sports and writes for The Athletic, uh, also a New York Times bestselling author. You can see a book that has some more relevance now, Flip the Script, uh, with Ed Orgeron. You get that on Amazon. His website is brucefeldman.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Bruce Feldman CFB. Bruce, thanks for coming on, man. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you guys. You know, it's... Uh, Silly season in college football starts a little early, especially with uh, USC. I don't know if you realize this too, Bruce, but this will be the, you know, USC's got Notre Dame this weekend. Five trips to Notre Dame. This will be the third time of the last five trips that they're sending an interim head coach. So that's very uh, USC of them. That is a very uh, telltale sign of a, of a program <laughs> that has kind of lost its way. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that's the best way to put it, that the program's lost its way. So I w- wanted to get your thoughts on just kind of like the USC coaching search, which obviously changed a little bit over the, you know, this uh, weekend when we found out that LSU, who goes out and beats Florida, big win for Ed Orgeron, Scott Woodward, uh, the athletic director at LSU, and Ed Orgeron are deciding to part ways and he will coach out the string and finish the season and then move on, get paid a boatload of money to walk away and maybe go coach somewhere else. but. Uh, I think that changes the whole landscape, obviously, that LSU is looking for a head coach along with USC. But maybe initially get your thoughts on this LSU situation. Yeah, I mean, look, it's it's kind of wild that somebody uh, gets fired at 21 months after winning a national title. But, you know, this is a case of Scott Woodward was not the AD who hired Ed Ogeron. And he wanted his own guy, and Ogeron made some really – at least one one really bad coordinator hire um, after winning the national title when he had to replace Dave Aranda, who'd become the, the head coach at Baylor. He turned around and hired Bo Pelini. That did not work out. And then this year, he hired two really inexperienced uh, coordinators, one on offense and one on defense. Those guys you know, still may work out and prove to be you know, decent hires, but there were definitely some growing pains along the way and he did not have uh, much margin for error there as i said the the expectations are sky high there and that's what's seen now i think what's interesting is and i did you know just did this uh, candidates coaching search story for lsu there is a there i think there is some some real overlap with usc at least in regard to one candidate and that's james franklin from penn state and he had a lot of success at in the SEC at Vanderbilt. Um, and now, obviously, I, I think he would make a lot of sense at USC. So I, I think that's one where there's some overlap. Some of the other ones, I'm not sure that there really is with USC, but at least in that case, I do think it's real. Yeah, that was uh, the, the kind of thing where now that LSU's throw their hat in their ring, and there definitely is hierarchy in college football. And there's certain programs that you can win a national championship at, and there's certain ones that you can't or just, you know, probably aren't going to be able to LSU and USC are ones that you can't. So it's just, they're in that top tier. I would say, um, do you you disagree with that? They're both those top tier kind of jobs. Yeah, I think so. I mean, we did a story on the athletic where we surveyed, you know, over a hundred coaches about what they think were top five jobs. Um, USC is, is right there in the top, you know, as a top five job. And I think LSU is, I mean, for different reasons, you know, the, the one, you know, connection is there's probably two. One is the tradition of success and people have won championships there. 
the other part of it is it's a, you got a really good recruiting base locally. I would argue USC has a great recruiting base within two hours. Uh, the reason why I think USC is, you know, maybe a more attractive job, you know, in the case for James Franklin, quite honestly, Nick Saban is not in the Pac-12 South. I mean, and neither is Alabama. So that, you know, you guys know this, USC is better positioned to dominate its league than any other heavyweight program. You know, as good as Alabama is, there's Georgia there, there's LSU there, there's Texas A&M there. There's just a lot of, there's a lot of competition. Right. Um, even in the Big Ten, where Franklin's at, he has a really good job at Penn State. But there's Ohio State that is probably an even better job. And there's Michigan and there's there's just there's just a lot of depth to it. So I think that's that's the part that to me is going to be fascinating to see how it plays out and what the you know, what USC's leadership is able to reel in. Given your status as a national reporter, what's your sense of just the USC brand right now? Does it feel like. Are people seeing this as a rebuild uh, coming in as a head coach? Yeah, to some degree, because I think you look at it and say, well, Drake London can play anywhere. He's special. But I think you look at it from talking to some coaches who have either played USC or have, have looked at them closely. And it's like the offensive line is not, it's not a great room that they have. I don't think people look at their defensive personnel. Yeah, there's some, some, some good spots. And there's some good individual talent, but there's not great individual talent. I mean, I think with the recruiting rankings, what they were still, when you talk to coaches, they don't see the same, you know, the same caliber. There is a rebuild there. Um, and I think that, you know, look, if there, if there wasn't, they wouldn't be struggling with some of the teams they're struggling with. Yeah. You know, I, I think that that's, you know, I think people can can look at the star rankings as what they are and, and see that as talent. But at some point, you have to look at what is happening on the field and say, OK, you know, what are we actually dealing with here in terms of, you know, if I take that job? And I think there's going to be coaches who will certainly scrutinize the roster because you got to see how quickly can you flip it. Right. And so you know, this was a team that got that got thumped by Oregon State. It got thumped by Utah. These are not great teams that are that are that are putting it on USC. So I, I don't know how you couldn't look at it and say it's going to be a rebuild. One of the things that it comes up a lot, we we get some woe is me. USC fans are like, no one want to come, and it's just terrible. It's going to take thirty years to get this back. And I, to me, I just think that's bull. To me, I, I look at this as it's like a huge potential, right? If you're an alpha head coach. You look at this as it's like the best house in this neighborhood and it's got hedge problems and the roof needs fixing and stuff, but you know, you can come in there and feel like I can make this, I can turn this around quickly. I can get a couple of recruiting classes, change the culture. And like you said, there's no Alabama, there's no LSU, there's no Florida in my division. There's no Ohio state. There's no Michigan. If you get USC just good, you can dominate the whole West coast. And that's the way I've always looked at it, where people are going to look at it more as the potential, like, yeah, okay, they're crappy. Now they've had poor leadership for a long time, but I could go in there and fix all this and do like what Pete Carroll kind of did. Is it, is that unrealistic for me to think that way? No, but it's got, it's got to be the right person. It's got to be somebody who really, I think has strong leadership capabilities and is manic about how they recruit. You know why? Because, Look, I, one of the people I would argue that that USC probably should at least look at 
would be Mario Cristobal. Um, you know, you people don't like the air raid, and I know a lot of USC former players don't. Well, Mario Cristobal is an old O-line guy who wants to be physical, and he's recruited good O-linemen there, right? And so style-wise, that's that. Recruiting wise, he has set he has set the temperature of the room in the in the conference on West Coast recruiting because he's taken what he knew from Miami from playing and coaching there and taken the Nick Saban blueprint on recruiting and moved it to Eugene, Oregon. And whoever comes in and gets this job, if if it's not Mario Cristobal to say the least, you're going to be having to compete with that, right? And this team, I think, is going to be really good for the next two years. I know that at least that's the expectation in, in, in Oregon. Um, and by the way, that was a team that, you know, as you guys know, beat Ohio State at Ohio State. That's not easy to do. And the way they did it was impressive. Uh, so I think whoever gets the job, if they don't really aren't, you know, locked in on recruiting and recruiting, you know, as a, and I'm not saying USC didn't try to do that, but like you can't have a couple of assistants who are all in on recruiting and not have it go. You need it. You know, it needs to really be the lifeblood of the program. The way it was when, when Pete Carroll was there, quite honestly. Um, they had guys who, who lived it and breathed it. So if that's not the way, I, I think what you said is right, Ryan. I think the question is going to be, you know, will they be able to get the right guy? Um, you know, and, and I'm interested to see what Mike Bone lands, right? You know, it's just... It, the job has a lot of potential, no doubt. It also, there are some hesitation. I know from talking to some coaches, it's just like, yeah, you can pay a head coach a lot of money, you know, but it's a cost of living is not cheap in Southern California, as we all know, especially relative to other big jobs. And where that, I think that really comes in handy is what you're talking about, your staff. You know, yes, if a head coach is making $8 million, that's going to go a long way anywhere you live in the world. But if you're making, you know, $400,000 in another college town, $400,000 is different, you know, compared to what it would be out here for, for a family. And I think so some of those challenges, I think, are going to be things that they're going to have to sort out. And, you know, ultimately, it's like, OK, what is your plan? What is your vision? And then for the person who who is looking at the job, see how committed is the university and how committed is the athletic department to really supporting it because the places you're talking about competing with, those are places that are all in on it and all in meaning like, Hey, you know, we're going to support you, whatever you believe and, and not, you know, not micromanage it, not, not, you know, shortchange it or whatever. It's going to be that way. In that sense, how much is this next hire for head coach, going to kind of be a fork in the road for USC football and like where it goes as far as the legacy. Oh, I think, I mean, all the hires are obviously huge, but I mean, just like, yeah. And there was a couple of, you know, a couple of good seasons under Clay Helton, but really the last decade has been such a dysfunctional decade. I think Ryan had mentioned the, you know, leadership. I want to put it in quotes because, (laughs) <laughs> it's been it's been abysmal and it's you know in some regard like it's been kind of a laughing stock of of um you know of college athletics by how did USC screw this up you know and they keep screwing it up whether it was like they're handling and I'm not saying the NCAA was right to punish USC the way it did but you know even the handling of the NCAA they basically dared the NCAA to to take a you know 
to backhand them and they, you know, like they did all that and then some. It's like, but for USC, you know, and I think you go back to, um, you know, to, to Lane Kiffin's second season there. They've had one season where they finished in the top 10. One. I mean, that's, I get it. There were sanctions and there were heavy sanctions, but there haven't been like, you know, the last six years, you couldn't have been better than that or whatever. It's like, yeah. I mean, they're really mediocre now. They've been really mediocre you know, the last few years. And even, uh, you know, it just, you know, the Sark hire was, was a disaster. Um, you know, it's just, I don't know. Like, I mean, obviously this is a, this is a big one for them because the timing, Keely, especially you know, why, you know, on your question is this is a time when the PAC 12 is feeling like it's already been left behind. And yeah. a big part of this, you know, people can point the finger at Larry Scott and I'm not going to defend him because I don't think he was great at his job. But I think the biggest thing that hurt Larry Scott more than any other, like, you know, not keeping the main thing, the main thing, which to me was his, was one of his biggest blunders. But I think where it really, you know, cost them was USC wasn't USC anymore. They became just pretty good and underachieving. And for the Pac-12 to be at its best, it needs USC to, to be like it was under Pete Carroll. And it was it's not been close to that. Yeah. Self-sanctions, USC has been doing those a little bit. So that's <laughs> by the poor hires and the the quote, like you said, leadership on quotations, that's uh, self-sanctioning your football program. Um, one of the names that comes up a lot, and, you know, I, I know Jimbo Fisher just came out today and said, you know, he wants to coach out his contract at, at Texas A&M because Scott Woodward hired him uh, when he was at Texas A&M. He's now the AD at LSU. Same thing with Mike Bone. He hired Luke Fickle, who's a hot name out there. Would it, you know, he attempt to hire Luke Fickle again at USC? I know, you know, he's a Ohio guy through and through, six kids and all that stuff. Um, any thoughts on Luke Fickle for USC or even potentially uh, at LSU? I mean, you said it. it. It's, it's, he's a Midwest guy through and through. I think that, look, he knows Bone and Sazna. So at least he, you know, whether that is a great thing or a not so great thing, I think ultimately it's like, where do I want to raise my family? Everything I'd always heard was he was so tied to the Midwest and, you know, he's going to be especially picky. You know, it's like unless Ryan Day leaves for the NFL, Ohio State, his alma mater is not opening up. I don't know if Notre Dame is going to open up anytime soon. Penn State, that could open up. In some ways, I think, you know, if Franklin leaves, I think Luke Fickle may have a big job there. But the other side of it is Cincinnati is now probably a better job than it was just two years ago. But now Cincinnati going to the Big 12. So, you know, from that side, I think like I would be a little surprised if. If not, if not that they would want him, but if he would make the move, as you said, six kids, very, you know, Midwestern roots. I don't know if he would, from from what I'd heard, I don't know if he would really want to make the big jump out to moving the family to Southern California. For uh, for Cincinnati, we had a question on this earlier in the podcast. Um, yeah, they're moving to the Big 12. But to me, without Texas and Oklahoma, the Big 12 is not going to be the Big 12. If he wants to win a national championship, does he have to go to LSU or USC or Penn State or Ohio State, or could he do it in Cincinnati? It's a long shot to do it in Cincinnati. This is going to be a good litmus test because a lot of stuff has broken right for Cincinnati. They beat Notre Dame. Now, what the only thing that didn't really break right is 
They beat Indiana after Indiana had a good year last year, but Indiana may not even be a bowl team, so that win's not going to carry any weight. But what has broken right for them is the ACC does, you know, normally it's Clemson and, and, a, and a bunch of slugs. Right now, I mean, Clemson is really down. So there's that's one playoff spot that's not going to be taken. Um, you know, we'll see how the Big Ten, if the, maybe the Big Ten beats each other up over the last over the last month, especially with Ohio State already has a loss against Oregon at home. Um, the Big 12, I don't feel that. Con- Oklahoma State's undefeated. I feel like they're a little bit like an Iowa where, yes, they're undefeated, but it feels like it's kind of teetering. So, you know, all that point is if if Cincinnati can get into the playoff, which they have seemingly a decent shot at doing now, I'm not I'm wondering if that makes him think, you know what, I don't need to, like, take another job that I'm not all the way in on to be able to win a national title for or compete for a national title at the very least, because it's obviously really hard to win it no matter where you're at. I mean, right now, with Ogeron still having the job at LSU, there's only five coaches in the country who've won national titles. That's a really small number. I mean, you can talk about as much as, you know, Kirby Smart's ability to recruit and and some of these other guys, they haven't won national titles. It's really hard. So I think, you know, yes, I'm sure that's the goal for, for uh, Luke Fickle and, and, and all these coaches. But I think also it's like, all right, do I have a chance to at least compete for it? And, you know, the grass isn't always greener. So, Bruce, let's say you are USC's AD. Who's on your list? Who are you talking to? You know, like I, I said, I think James Franklin should be their, their top candidate. He did an amazing job at Vandy. He has done a really good job at Penn State restoring a program that was really, really just kind of like the brand was coming out of the Sandusky scandal. They had a lot of sanctions that they were dealing with. And he can recruit. Like the thing that's that really jumps out at me is he brings a lot of energy and I think he has a presence. A lot of the stuff you could say about Clay Helton cannot say about James Franklin. You know, I, I think he would fit in LA in in that regard. Um, t- to me, that's like, he would be the clear number one. I'd mentioned Cristobal. Cristobal has a $9 million buyout. Yeah, that's more than double what, what uh, James Franklin had. We talked a little bit about Luke Fickle. Matt Campbell's another name I think they need to at least consider and to see what his vision and plan is. He's, you know, last year, Iowa State had its best season ever finishing in the top 10. I think he's elevated that program. Again, I, I don't know if he would jump at it, but I think you would want to at least hear, like, how would you recruit out here? What is your vision to make this a national title team? You know, beyond that, like, I've heard people throw out the name Bill O'Brien. I mean, I don't. I don't know how Bill O'Brien, I'm not saying he couldn't recruit. Like he got Christian Hackenberg to go to Penn State when he was, you know, a five-star quarterback. I mean, I think it's a little different to to be the head coach at Penn State and you just coach Tom Brady and to get a top quarterback as opposed to, I don't think that makes me con, you know, convinced that you are going to go in and out-recruit Oregon and go 100 miles an hour. I, I mean – the Bill O'Brien one to me is like, I'm not so sure on that one. And then once you get past those names, I don't know who you look at. Like Billy Napier's done a really good job. I don't see the USC really considering the head coach of Louisiana Lafayette. You know, it's just Jamie Chadwell, another really good coach. I don't think you go from Coastal Carolina to USC. 
You know, I've seen people throw out the name P.J. Fleck. P.J. Fleck has an under 500 record in the Big Ten, and he lost to Bowling Green, who is horrible. <laughs> like, you can't – I'm sorry. He's done – you know, he's a pretty good coach. If USC ends up on that, you know, your board's probably going to have a meltdown. You know, they're not rolling the boat, I'm sure. So, no. you know – I mean, they like, always have a meltdown, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> like, that would be a next-level meltdown. Now, maybe there's a name coming out of the NFL – you know, like it feels like a USC thing to look at, you know, for years, probably since like Keely, you were probably four years old. It felt like they would be, you know, like here, maybe Jeff Fisher, maybe Jack Del Rio or some, you know, some, some former really good player who's been in the NFL and done well as a coach there um, that you'd hear maybe that USC would be tempted by them. I'm sure that there are people that they may get back channel information that so-and-so may be interested in. But remember, the NFL calendar is what it is. It's like hard to sync up with an early signing period. Um, I also think, you know, to me, I'm a little skeptical that that recruits are going to say, hey, well, maybe Dante Williams is going to be here as an assistant. So we're going to go there. I don't think anybody goes there just because an assistant is going to be there. You know, long term, you have to know, who, you know, who's uh, who's in charge of the program long term or at least relatively long term in, in this day of the portal. So, uh, you know. And to, to me, it's like it would be Franklin, maybe Matt Campbell, maybe Fickle. And then, you know, um, I I don't know what, what Mike Bone really has up his sleeve beyond that. One of the names that comes up is probably for potentially for both jobs because he was uh, at LSU is uh, Dave Aranda, you know, the head coach at Baylor. They're doing a great He's doing a great job so far. He hasn't been there very long, hasn't been head coach very long. Normally wouldn't recommend someone like this, but I know. USC talked to him about coming in as defensive coordinator. So there was at least some connections there. Uh, do you think he would leave for a better job or any of these jobs that open would, would go after him or does he need some more seasoning in college football? I think that would be a big gamble. I like Dave personally. He's incredibly thoughtful. I mean, his, he is from Southern California. His brother is still a high school basketball coach, I think in the area where he grew up. Um, you know, he's like, he is a, you would love having him on the podcast. I mean, he is like just a deep thinker. The parts I'm, I'm not, I'm again, like, this is a little bit like Matt Campbell part of it where I don't know how well if Dave would knock it out of the park as a recruiter and be the, the, be the head of USC. Right. So he's done a really good job this year. They were two and seven last year. The part that, you know, I would be curious about is let's say Baylor goes on and they end up nine and three, even 10 and two. USC is a huge job potentially. And I, I feel like you run the, run the risk of how much do we really know of, of Dave as can he be, you know, can he lead USC to national titles? You know, it's just, Again, I think so much of it is re- is recruiting. I'm not saying he can't recruit because I know, um, you know, I know some of his work at LSU. But again, um, you know, you're basing it off of like first last year was two and seven, and I think that it's just like I I kind of would be a little surprised if he ended up being the guy they ended up hiring. Not because he's not he's a brilliant guy, but I just think, you know, who. T- who turned it down before you ended up ended up with Dave? That's the thing that I think I would feel like. I'm not saying like, did you go like, 
Did you go to Luke Fickle and he said he didn't want to move? Yeah, I'm guessing that's what it was. Did you go to James Franklin and he wasn't, he didn't feel like the money wasn't right for his staff? Did you go to Matt Campbell and it came down to Matt Campbell versus Dave Aranda? You know, I, I could guess I could see that. I mean, Matt Campbell has more of a track record as a head coach, but ultimately then, you know, it's Mike Bone who's going to be, you know, you know, it's, this is it, you know, right? Like Mike Bone had a really good hire at Cincinnati, had some not so good hires at CU. Um, I, I think this is any any of these hires are kind of referendums on the AD. This one especially yeah. so. So yeah. um, I don't know. I, I'd be interested to see how how Dave would do. I think the the thing that that will be interesting if they actually did go in that direction was. Some of this, and I hesitate to say this because I feel like it's going to sound like the kiss of death and I don't want it to be, but like <laughs> a lot of the stuff that people would say about Clay, I feel like, you know, really nice guy, really thoughtful, just kind of pretty low key. I mean, that's some of the same stuff you can say about Dave. Now, Dave was way more highly regarded as a yeah. coordinator, you know, so in that regard, I don't want to, and Dave also has you know, he at least has now some head coaching experience, but I just think in terms of personality and temperament, there does feel a little of that part of it where, um, you know, one of the things that, that obviously that, that, that didn't help Clay Helton was people felt like he was almost too nice and there wasn't a disciplined piece of that, you know? And so I, I think that, that, uh, I don't know. I'm, 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 I'm definitely curious about how that would work. I, again, I think, I think Dave is super smart and I think he's a really good man. Um, it's just like, I, I think if I was USC, I would feel better. There's like him and there's another really good defensive coach, uh, you know, in Jeff Halfley, who's at BC. And I think Jeff Halfley is a star too. Jeff Halfley is, you know, both guys have only been head coaches for less than two years. You know, if yeah. there was maybe, maybe another year of a body of work, I would probably feel a little more confident if I was USC, if they were actually high you know, high on my list before. Thanks Bruce for the time for sure. Uh, before we let you go with Keely and I were talking about this earlier, USC might not be nationally relevant, but their, their kind of fingers are out in the national relevance sphere where like, you know, Ed Orgeron was you know obviously a big part of USC and that's huge news with LSU, but you know, Steve Sarkeesian blowing, you know, leads uh, at Texas lately. And then Lane Kiffin going back to Knoxville and, catching a, you know, Odell Beckhaming a water bottle out of the stands and throwing his visor up there and holding up a golf ball during his, uh, post-game interview and getting a big win at, at Neyland. Um, and I get it, maybe get your thoughts on what the, what Sark and Lane are, are doing right now. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know how it's going to work out for Sark. I do like the staff he put together. I mean, Lane, you know, I did that story for the athletic over the weekend about just how USC ended up landing on lane and making that higher you know he's done a very good job at you know first at fau and now he's got Ole miss kind of going a little bit um I, i'm interested to see because his name has come up a little bit you know with lsu and you know what what is his opportunities and you know which which uh you know which administration or which which athletic department is going to go yeah we feel like we can trust him you know, like we feel like <laughs> we feel like we know what we're getting into because he's obviously a really good offensive mind. I did think that when, you know, when all that craziness was happening, 
in, in Nealon. Um, I thought he, you know, uh, what he said about it, how he handled it, not just like obviously the catching the water bottle, but just like how he kind of did his best to almost diffuse it a little bit in terms of, you know, not, you know, I think he had, had kind of the right perspective on it. I think those moments definitely helped Lane, um, I don't say reinvent himself, but just kind of evolve a little bit. And that one's more, that, that one is definitely interesting to me. I don't know where Lane goes from here. Maybe stays in Oxford for longer. I don't know. But, um, you know, people are definitely interested in him. He's, he's, no, no college football coach is better at using social media. I feel like, you know, and look, we all, we all probably feel like we know him better than maybe the national media does because you kind of know what he was like. It's not to say, you know what he was like out here. You know what he was like day to day. Doesn't mean that like it's all an act now. I think he's probably grown, you know, grown some from that time, but he is, you know, he's just kind of like a, he's a really polarizing figure, but he's just a, you know, kind of a fascinating person to just to, just to see how his career keeps going. Yeah. Interesting stuff. Well, Bruce, really appreciate it. Yeah, um, thank you. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on and uh, yeah, keep it, keep it, keep it rolling. Where are you, where are you this weekend? What game you got uh, this weekend? I am in studio with uh, your former USC greats, uh, Matt and Reggie. So it's not oh, a nice. great, it's not a great slate of games. Our, big noon game is Northwestern at uh, Northwestern and Michigan. So, um, but something only crazy happens. So I'm sure it will this weekend. Yeah. It's weird. I know it's a different company, but like game day being at, at UCLA, that's kind of weird. So it kind of shows you there's not a lot going on, um, at college football this weekend, but yeah, eh, I mean, there's some good games, but, uh, that's something crazy will happen. Something crazy will happen. And we'll be talking about it Saturday night. Oh yeah. I mean, there's always something crazy happening, but there's, it just seems like, we have packs full of parody throughout college football now. Like there's just parody everywhere with all the super seniors or something. I don't know. Yeah, I know. I know. And, um, I'm interested to see like, you know, how the second half of the season is going to go from here. But yeah, like, I mean, I, I'm who's going to grab the pack 12 right now. Right. Like we saw what Arizona state happened with them at Utah and, you know, maybe Oregon and well, maybe Oregon and UCLA will be that game. We're buzzing about, you know, a few days from now. Yeah. All right, follow him on Twitter, at Bruce Feldman, CFB, does a great job. Breaking news, sideline reporting, going to be in studio this week with the Fox crew. So check out Bruce and, of course, his work on The Athletic. A lot of great stuff there. But uh, thanks to Bruce Keeley. Thanks, for everyone, for listening to the Parastel Podcast. Hope you enjoy the show, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.
MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official challenge podcast wherever you get your podcasts.